All right. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for your prayer. Thank, thank you for your prayers. You know, uh, we talk about prayer as it relates to evangelism uh, and how important it is. And prayer is also so important when we approach the Word of God. When we, when we want to understand Scripture, we need God's help. And so it's really important for us to be praying that God gives us, uh, you know, enlightens our understanding as we approach His Word. So appreciate your prayers as we turn to the Word of God together. And so... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm tasked today uh, to preach on Acts 15, 16, 17, and 18. And of course, uh, there's no way we can expound on, on that much material in, the, in uh, the allotted time. I don't even know if we could uh, read through all of that uh, text in uh, the time that we have uh, have together this morning. But hopefully, you've already done that. So, uh, commercial break. Each Thursday, our newsletter uh, goes out by email to anyone who requests it. Josh mentioned it just a, a, a few moments ago. It includes a number of very helpful things, uh, uh, including the passage assigned for the sermon in 10 days' time, uh, so that we can not just be uh, listening to sermons, uh, but we can be reading together and studying Scripture together as a church family. So this past Thursday, we, uh, we were encouraged to be reading uh, the book of Galatians, because a week from today, the Lord willing, Josh will be leading us into Paul's letter to the Galatians uh, so that gives us all, all kinds of prep time and helps us uh, get a lot more out of the sermon work. Uh, so end of commercial. Uh, as a church, we're on a three-year journey through the Bible, and this is week four of a six-week series uh, we're calling uh, Making Progress. Now, um, I'm always being asked by people, what's next? It might be one of the most common questions I get, it's, and it's not a bad question because the, the church is meant to be making progress, right? Uh, of course, progress denotes change, and uh, the church and, and our mission are established uh, on the perspective of change because the biblical worldview is a view of uh, a world in desperate need uh, of change. You know, I'm okay, you're okay is not the gospel, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, what we need to be uh, proclaiming. Um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God accepts us as we are, but this affects the beginning of substantive change uh, in, our, in our lives and uh, through our lives and the lives of others. That's uh, gospel transformation. So making progress is an appropriate theme because the gospel makes things happen. And we've been seeing uh, that uh, a lot can happen when you have a, a unified, well-led, focused, loving, trusting, and hope-filled church. So this uh, is week four of this current series. Week one was on unity. Week two was on leadership. Last week we uh, talked about the, the focus, our focus, uh, which needs to be on the gospel. Uh, we may need to make sure that we know what the gospel is and make sure we stay on message because if we go off message... We go off mission. Uh, the gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then this week, it's all about love. Now, it may seem a bit odd at first that our topic is love when our text is the second missionary journey of Paul. Uh, but if we are going to attempt to appreciate these four action-packed chapters for what they are, then we're going to have to take a step back and ask why. Why, Paul? What uh, was the driving force of Paul's missional motivation? And what is ours? 
Um, we are talking about our mission, but our mission is motivated by love, or it should be. Uh, so let's start by picking up in Acts chapter 15, uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through uh, 41. Uh, it says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers. There's that word that we touched on last week that you see as you read through the book of Acts, you see it recurring uh, over and over again and the significance of that. Uh, let's return and visit the brothers, he says, in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Uh, now, uh, if you watch for it, you, you'll read it throughout the book of Acts and you'll see it's used over and over and over again of every uh, tribe, tongue, and nation uh, as people are added to the family of God by, um, by way of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, so it's such a, a prominent New Testament theme. Picking up at verse 37, it says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with him uh, John, called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Uh, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Um, if you uh, know where Barnabas uh, was from, you can, you can throw it in, in, in the chat there. Um, it's just interesting. But Paul uh, chose Silas and departed, having been uh, commended by the brothers, I, there's the, here it is again, uh, to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening uh, the churches. It says there that they parted uh, because of sharp disagreement, and a lot could be said about about that this morning. Uh, I'm only going to say that the early church had its issues and its problems as we have seen uh, throughout our study. And God still used these imperfect and in-process people just like he uses his church today in spite of our issues and problems. And uh, we're thankful for his grace to us. People have tried to put a positive spin on, on this uh, separation, um, saying that it, the effect was that we now have two mission teams uh, where before there was only one. Uh, for sure, God did use, it, use this, uh, but it wasn't good. And Paul uh, revised his opinion later about John Mark, and you can read about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. He makes reference to, to him there. But we need to move on because we want to get into chapter 16 because the narrative follows Paul. And, and Paul and Silas, they head up through Assyria and Cilicia, uh, it says, strengthening the churches. And they came also to Derby and to uh, Lystra, or Lystra, uh, which uh, is verse 1 of chapter 16. You'll recognize those place names from Paul's prior mission journey. And this time at Lystra, they, uh, get, we get introduced to a young man named Timothy, who will become a, a vital part of Paul's mission team going forward. And this is the same Timothy to whom Paul wrote uh, the letters of First and Second Timothy, and uh, it seems likely that uh, this family responded to the gospel uh, on Paul and Barnabas's first trip through that region. And commentators note here that the tense of the verb was in reference to uh, Timothy's uh, dad uh, is an indication. Uh, it's in the imperfect tense there, which is an indication that uh, Timothy's father had, had died. And um, this is also where we are told that Paul had Timothy um, 
circumcised. circumcised. That's in verse 3. This seems to go against the whole tenure of uh, uh, the comments uh, from Paul in Acts chapter 15, where he argues strongly against the need uh, for circumcision. And uh, next week we're going to be in the book of Galatians. You'll see Paul make some comments there as well, uh, strong comments about uh, how circumcision doesn't avail us anything before God. Uh, but this is where we need to understand Paul's missiological method of expediency for the sake of the gospel and for the limiting of liberty for the sake of love. As he will later, later write to the Corinthians, uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. That's 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 20, 23. Um, you could read um, through Paul's explanation of his missiological pragmatism uh, in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 9. And 10, and I encourage you to do that uh, uh, because Paul will do other things in his life on mission uh, that seem uh, uh, to be uh, for the same purpose and same reason. So we need to understand his, his uh, modus operandi, and, and I, I encourage you to read those passages um, in, in 1 Corinthians. Some things are not true because the gospel is true. Uh, but some things are true because the gospel is true. In other words, uh, some things are inconsistent with the gospel, while other truths depend upon the truth of the gospel. Um, so that's where a lot of the pragmatism comes from in Paul's mission uh, journeys. And you know, lies filled with truth uh, should be a fulfillment of the gospel in our in our lives. Uh, in fact, love is a great example of this as our joy and peace. Uh, we're not saved by our love, uh, even our love for God. Uh, the love we find in the gospel is not uh, that we love God, but rather that he loved us. First John uh, 4, verse 10 says that. And Paul says in Romans that it was while we were uh, his, uh, God's enemies, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son. Paul says that in Romans chapter 5. Uh, but our love is part of the fruit of the gospel in our lives. We love because... He first loved us, 1 John 4, verse 19. So, so love is, a, is fruit of the gospel, fruit of the Holy Spirit in our, in our, in our lives. And, it, and this is really uh, important when we think about our, our mission. So getting back to the text, Paul and Silas visit and encourage the churches that Paul and Barnabas planted in Galatia, throughout Galatia, on their first journey. And then the text says that they tried to penetrate Asia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. So they attempted to go to Bithynia, but it says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Uh, what did that look like? It's hard for us to say, isn't it? For sure, uh, we simply don't, don't know how the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit of Jesus, uh, revealed uh, those things to, to uh, Paul and Silas. But what we... Uh, we do know is uh, what transpired next uh, was that Paul had some type of vision in the night uh, because it says in Acts chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, so passing by uh, Mysia, they went down to Troas and uh, a vision uh, appeared to Paul in the night of a man of Macedonia who was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he, uh, we, notice that, 
pronoun there. Immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So let's just, uh, let's just take, a, take a look at a map here uh, this morning for a bit. So uh, we're talking about a trip then that begins here in Antioch, Assyria, and uh, they travel up through uh, the province of Galatia and the region of Galatia. Uh, there's uh, Derby and Lystra, and now they've traveled over, and, and the Spirit of God forbid them to go to Bithynia, forbid them to, forbid them to go into, into Asia, and instead uh, they ended up over here at Troas. And so we're going to see that they travel from Troas over to Macedonia, to Philippi, and we'll see that they travel uh, down through Apollonia uh, uh, to Thessalonica, to Berea, down to uh, Athens here, and then over to Corinth, and then uh, Paul will sail from Corinth back by way, a short stop in Ephesus, and then he'll sail back to Caesarea, and from there make his way up to uh, Syria and uh, Antioch. That's the that's the route uh, of the uh, the second uh, journey that we're that we're looking at here. So, um, so this right here is a significant border crossing, as Paul and his team leave Asia and they enter Europe. And this is also where we see that pronoun change and the words "us" in verse ten that we read, and and "we" in verse eleven suddenly show up in the text. And this will continue to be the case from here on. So uh, this would be an indication that Luke, who is the author of Acts, joins the mission team at this point. And we understand that what he had written about prior to this point would have been the result of his meticulous research. And you can uh, reference uh, the first four verses of Luke and the first uh, verse of Acts chapter 1 uh, on that point. So the stories that follow include the events at Philippi, uh, where we have the conversion of a businesswoman named Lydia, followed by the account of Paul driving a spirit of divination out of a young slave girl. Her owners had previously profited greatly from her gifts. Uh, so that didn't go over too well at the local chamber of commerce, and a riot results and ends with uh, Paul and Silas being thrown into a Philippian jail, uh, which, if you've read through this, you know leads to a dramatic supernatural rescue and the dramatic conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family. And uh, from there, they travel through uh, Amphipolis, or uh, however you say that, and uh, Apollonia, and on to the city of Thessalonica, uh, where they end up planting a church. And we have two letters that Paul would later write to the brothers at Thessalonica, and we call those First and Second Thessalonians, and Lord willing, we'll be getting into First Thessalonians in two weeks' time. So um, uh, one of the things that we uh, see here in this passage is the pattern that was a vital part of Paul's missionary methodology. He would come into a, a town and head straight for the local Jewish synagogue where there was a ready-made audience consisting of biblically literate Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. Uh, take a look, for example, at Acts chapter 17, the first three verses there. It says, now when they had passed through M uh, Epiphilus, uh and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, 
And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Of course, reasoning from the scriptures was also part of Paul's pattern or his custom, as it was with Peter and the other apostles, as we have seen. And the next thing we see happening also uh, became part of that pattern, which was the opposition that arose, and then persecution that followed from that, almost always from Jewish uh, folk. And it seems that each time that there was uh, the the message proclaimed, that uh, there were those who received the gospel, but also those who did not. And there uh, those who did not always uh, always seem to include some Jews who were not simply resistant, uh, but hostile to the message and to the messengers. So Paul and his mission band end up getting chased out of Thessalonica, uh, but not before they had established a church there, um, as, as mentioned. So leaving Thessalonica, they go to Berea, and the text says there in Acts chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, that uh, these Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Uh, Many of them, uh, therefore, believed uh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well, as men, so they, in other words, they were they were really interested in hearing the truth and making sure and establishing what was true according to the scriptures. Um, then what? Well, the Jews who were hostile to them in Thessalonica heard about what was happening in Berea, so they show up loaded for bear, and uh, the brothers, it says there, uh, send Paul off to Athens, and the, uh, the rest of chapter 17 is about. Paul's time in Athens. Athens is kind of a different experience for Paul. He did speak at the local synagogue there, and it says he spoke to the people daily in the marketplace, uh, which in Greek is the agora. Uh, But he also received an invitation to speak at the Areopagus, which is also referred to as uh, Mars Hill. Uh, Ares being the Greek god, uh, Mars being the Roman uh, god, uh, same Roman god by Roman uh, uh, name or identity. Um, uh, when we went through this material four years ago, I spoke a, a message on Paul's time in Philippi and another full message on Paul's time in a- Athens. Uh, there's just so much uh, to be gleaned from these passages that we uh, won't be getting into today, but we are uh, doing sort of an overview here at this time and, and trying to kind of take a step back and look at it as a whole. Uh, Then in chapter 18, we have Paul's uh, next mission uh, point, which is Corinth. Uh, He stayed at Corinth, um, as Josh pointed out a couple weeks ago, uh, for 18 uh, months, which was longer than he he stayed anywhere else in his travels, except uh, for the time he spends later on his next journey uh, at Ephesus. So early on in his days at Corinth, Paul meets a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they were tent makers by trade, just like Paul, and uh, they just come from Italy. The text says uh, because the Roman emperor had uh, just kicked all the Jews out of Rome. So Paul ends up staying with this couple, working his trade, 
And, and maybe that's part of why he stayed there longer. We're not sure. But uh, he also planted the church at Corinth uh, while he was there during those 18 months. And uh, let's just take a quick look at a couple of verses from uh, his experience at Corinth. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 to 11. It says, And the Lord said to uh, Paul one night in a, in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Interesting, eh? And then verse 21 says, or verse 11, sorry, says, uh, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And uh, when Paul left Corinth, he took Aquila and Priscilla with him he heads uh, back for Syria. He drops Aquila and Priscilla off at Ephesus on the way, promising to return, the Lord willing. Uh, and then he set sail uh, from Ephesus to Caesarea, uh, as we saw. And we looked at the map there, and then he traveled up to Antioch from there. Chapter 18, verse 22, um, uh, mentions the arrival back of the mission team back at Antioch in Syria. And that concludes what we call Paul's second uh, missionary journey. Verse 23 of that chapter says, after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So that's the beginning of Paul's uh, third uh, and final missionary journey, unless, unless we count his arrest and transport to Rome, which is kind of a missionary journey that he will take, only it's one he takes in chains. Uh, but whether uh, Paul was in chains or not, he was always on mission. Uh, he wrote, in fact, uh, the New Testament letters of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon all from prison. That's why we call these uh, the prison epistles, um, or refer to them as the prison epistles. Um, and our main concern today, then, as we do this kind of a just an overview of Paul's second missionary journey, is, is why. Um, you know, you can read through these passages that are filled with important detail and take note of a good many important truths and uh, truths about the gospel and, and life and mission. And I hope that you have and I hope that you, that you do. Uh, but for our remaining time today, the question why? Why? Why Paul? What was that driving force of Paul's missional motivation? Now, it may seem a bit odd at first that our topic is love when our text is Paul's second missionary journey. But, but if we are going to attempt to appreciate uh, these four action-packed chapters for what they are, uh, we're going to have to take a step back and ask the question, why? Why Paul? Why would you put yourself out there like that? Suffer the things you suffered and keep doing it over and over and over again. Um, last week we took a note that from Acts chapter 15 how the gospel creates family. That those who respond in faith to the gospel regardless of any or many differences become our brothers and sisters. Uh, the scriptures speak often and emphatically about uh, the love of the brethren. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples 
that you're mine by your love for one another. This week, I want for us to take note that when you love someone who does not know Christ, and we are commanded to do that, make no mistake about that, when we love someone who does not know Christ, we are loving them as human beings created in the image of God and loved by God, but also we are loving them as a potential brother or sister in Christ. That's really important. And it explains why love is our motivation for our mission. When we attempt to share Christ with people, we are wanting them. I mentioned this last week. We are inviting people not only to accept Christ and be accepted by him, but we are inviting them into a family, which is our family. So we are welcoming them uh, into our lives, into our family. Uh, Think about Paul's mission in Thessalonica. Now take a look with me at what Paul says, uh, a statement he makes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, where the last part of the verse there says, he says to them, the, the Thessalonian brothers, he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another, and then look at those, those next three words, and for all. Think about Paul's labor of love at Corinth. And then take a look at with me at what he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, therefore, the love of Christ uh, controls us. Some uh, translations has, have constrains us. Some have compels us, which I, 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 I like that word. For the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. So uh, our our love for Christ in response for his love for us. So primarily, our mission is motivated by our love for Christ, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, In that passage, Paul goes on to talk about having uh, the ministry of reconciliation and being made ambassadors. Take a look at verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on uh, behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the invitation is given through us. Our open arms become his open arms. Think about Paul's time that he spent among the people of Galatia. And then in the book of Galatians, which we're reading next week, uh, you know, he says to them, that one of the statements Paul makes to the Galatians in chapter 2 is, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Over in chapter 6 of Galatians, Paul says to them, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. You know, ultimately, the love that compels us, the love that, that motivates us, is not only love for Christ, Primarily it is that, but it is also the love of Christ. We are to love those he loves. Jesus 
conversation with Peter at the end of John's gospel. Do you remember that? Three times Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And each time uh, when Peter responds, Jesus then says, feed my sheep, care for my sheep, um, love my sheep. Um, you know. But Jesus tells us even to love our enemies, right? Luke chapter 6. It's also recorded in gospel according to Matthew uh, that we are to love our enemies. Our primary relationship is our relationship with God. Uh, but right along with that is our relationship with others. What is the great commandment, the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked that question. His response was, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and strength. He says, that's the greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, on these two hang all of the other commandments. Love is the fulfillment of the law, Paul writes in Romans. Um, you know, Bible commentators refer uh, to those, um, Jesus' answer to that question about the greatest commandment. They, the Bible commentators refer to that sometimes as the great commandment. You know, sometimes we talk about the great commission. That's uh, Matthew 28, you know, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so we have the great commandment uh, and we have the great commission. You know, and, and how do they relate to one another? Does the great commission replace the great commandment? Hardly, hardly. The great commission is a fulfillment of the great commandment. Because, because our commission, or our mission, if you will, is a, to be motivated by our love for God, ultimately, but also, right along with that, our love for people. Love is the motive for our mission. When we share Christ with people, we share uh, out of out of love for them, and we share in the hope, in the hope that somehow people can be brought into uh, into our family. Uh, that's where uh, the uh, the commission, where Christ commissions us to be on mission, making disciples. That's making neighbors into brothers, and maybe even turning enemies into family. I want you to think about that with me today as we think about all that Paul did and what it was that compelled him and motivated him in all of his mission work. And then as we think about our mission as a church and how important love is, uh, Paul himself will later write, the greatest of these is love. And um, we talk a lot about mission, and we talk a lot about, about love, and rightly so, because they go together, they belong together. I wonder if you might pray with me this morning, and, uh, and just ask the Lord to, to fill us with his love, uh, love for, for God, for sure but also love, uh, love for people as we share the gospel, uh, seek to share the gospel with them. Will you pray with me, Lord in heaven? We thank you for your word today. We thank you for these, these tremendous uh, action-packed accounts of these missionary journeys, this second great journey that Paul and Silas and Timothy 
uh, took uh, and for all that they went through and all they endured and all of the effort they, they was expended and um, the, the blood and the sweat and the tears. And Lord, when we think about why and when we think about ourselves and the mission that you've put us on and our lives today as your church, Lord, we just pause and take this time this morning to ask that you would fill our hearts with love love for you and love for others and that we would be compelled and that we would be we'd, we would be um, motivated immensely by the love of Christ to share your uh, your love and your gospel with with others people who are are different than ourselves in some cases, people that might even be considered our enemies, but people that you love, people that you died for. Help us to love those you love, Lord, people who can become family, can become brothers and sisters in Christ, which is the greatest thing that we could possibly even imagine. We pray that you would make it so because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.